Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales. We believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to D.K. Shepston about her novels. After today, you will have heard about getting in trouble reading, jotting down book scenes as a kid on whatever surface you can find, meditating the ideas for your stories on accident, growing as an author, learning social media, getting out of your comfort zone, to just keep going, get your story out there. The Breaking The mystery deepens as the virus continues its rampage in Montrose. Rebecca and Colossus must find a way to stop an enemy more lethal than the virus. But new information and unfolding events threaten the group's mission and their very lives. As pressure mounts to take bold action, rifts form between members. Rebecca and her friends are forced to make difficult choices and face unexpected challenges that will test their bonds and reveal secrets that will either bring them closer or drive them apart. How far are the newest Colossus members willing to go to do what's right? The stakes are so much higher than they could have imagined, and all Anacor citizens are in danger. If the gang breaks up, if Colossus breaks apart, humanity in Anacor is doomed. I do have to ask, as a narrator, are there any plans to make your books into audiobooks? There are. Um, I, I, so it's taken me a long time to get, my first two books came easy because I, I wasn't, I wasn't um, doing like regular work for uh-huh. those. And now, I, well, I can't say my work is regular, um, but I now have this thing where I am, I am doing content writing for other people. And so like trying to fit in my own writing when I actually have like the creative juices in my head (laughs) to to do it. And so, and then, and plus like COVID made everything, you know, everybody sort of paused on so many things for a while with, with that and all the uncertainties Uh and stuff like that. And so I, I, you know, I it's taken me a while so I kind of am at this point where like I'm just gonna get this third book which I'm almost done with like mm-hmm. out and then I'm gonna regroup and and I do want to do audiobooks because I I I I love listening to them like you actually mm-hmm. you can be in the car which is when I usually listen yeah um, when I'm I'm driving you know or you can you know be well then I know a lot of people do it when they have like house cleaning and stuff I'm like mm-hmm. yeah like that's a great it's such a great avenue and so many people are um listening to audiobooks now in their in their repertoire of how they consume mm-hmm. fiction Yes. And so, yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely am going to expand to audiobooks for the, for the trilogy when it's done. Okay, cool. 
for sure. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I feel like I always, if there's not audio, I always have to like ask. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like I'm slightly obligated to like. <laughs> so far, I've yeah. only done, uh, let's say I've done two, well, I have one in progress YA series and then I have one finished, well, finished, the author's still listening through the la- the third book in the trilogy. Okay. Um, but I've done two of those and those are, I don't do them often. I mostly do like romance and fantasy, but I oh. most of my bookshelves is probably YA dystopian. So like oh I'm just gosh. like I love really those. So, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. hilarious. My favorite series, my favorite series of like all time is Tahara Mafi's Shatter Me series. Oh yeah, um, love that one. I have a bunch that most people have probably never heard of. <laughs> um, Hunger Games. I loved Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's the other one that's like that one, and I can't ever remember the name. Also got yeah. made into movies, but not as good. <laughs> like the movies, <laughs> the movies weren't as good. Um, the Divergent series, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, that one, yeah. Yeah, so like I just have like always loved. That's like my um, when I was a kid, we talked about you reading a bunch of books. Yeah. My mom would take us to the library, and for some reason. At like probably 12 years old, I was allowed to get Nicholas Sparks books. <laughs> so I read like all and I've read, I think, all but one of his books up to, well, two, because I, I own his most recent one. I haven't had time to read it yet. Um, but like since I was you know, 12, 13 years old, I've been yeah. reading. So like romance is always my like guilty. No one's going to know that I read this pleasure. Um, so like my bookshelves, it's, it's a lot of dystopian because people can see that I read that and yeah. no one really asks questions about right. that. I started now that I'm like narrating stuff, I've added more like romance and fantasy right. and stuff onto my shelves um, and just reading in general um, as I've, you know, broadened my horizons as an adult. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Why dystopian? You know, I don't know. Like it's, you know, it's one of those ones where I think people just in some of the, the times that we've gone through, it's like pretty easy. I don't know why, you know, we're always kind of drawn to these sorts of things where people are overcoming hard times, right? Mm Because in dystopian, it's always like, oh, the biggest challenges in like society and stuff like that. And somehow um, people can still overcome. So it's like on the, at the outset, it seems like, oh my gosh, like it's so depressing. And, you know, same with adult dystopian and stuff, but there's always this element of growth and overcoming that I think makes people feel good no matter what situation like if they're in a hard situation or society's weird and you know then it's like this feeling that you can overcome it so I think a lot of people they they might not even recognize sometimes what they're reading as dystopian Mm -hmm. um, because it's like adult they don't call it dystopian no yeah that's like technically what I'm writing would be dystopian but like it's that's not an adult genre right it's like fantasy mine like borders fantasy and sci-fi so it'll be somewhere in in those but um yeah i'm like dystopian is not not a thing in grown-up but i mean you find it because like um handmaid's tale that's dystopian and that's definitely grown up um i don't know there's a bunch of other series that i can't think of the names for right now that are definitely dystopian 
Um, but they don't necessarily label it as that. Like they don't, yeah. I mean, the book is that. And sometimes you'll see the label applied. And that is like a, a keyword search term mm-hmm. that comes up, you know. Um, and so I don't know, that might be a kind of missed opportunity for people who write in those genres. But it yeah. tends to be like fantasy first or sci-fi first or whatever first Mm -hmm. and then that's sort of like a subcontext whereas in in YA you get it more labeled as dystopian first followed by the sci-fi or fantasy or you know romance or whatever so the the dystopian label is sort of like the primary label in YA Well, and you know what to expect too with a dystopian you know it's going to be like current world set in the future with like the creepiest ones are the ones where you're like, oh, my God, I can definitely see this happening. Those ones will like they're insane. So, <laughs> so my my trilogy that I wrote like this is I, again, I put the first. 19, the second one came out like in March of 2020. And the apparent central like thing is a mysterious virus and same that's my book too (laughs) i'm like okay honestly i wrote this before covid okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm like this was and and it's like near future dystopian so like a lot of the stuff like the science sciencey sides of things are like really like nowadays stuff this could happen like just outside of our 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 known capabilities now like so just out like like we're at the edges of these things and so it's um it's like it is one of those ones like one of the people who reviewed it said like you know this book is just like a quarter like a quarter turn to the left from where we're standing right now yeah. and they were talking about the virus as well as as like you know just kind of the the setting it was in and 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 you know of course dystopian seems to always be set in the united states for some reason <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's, it's just a weird thing you don't yeah. see you know dystopian does that mean we're the most messed up like <laughs> I think there's a reason for that. So know? mine is set global. Ooh, um, cool. Mine is set. So in mine, it's they're trying to cure all hey. viruses, but it's set and I'm currently changing it because I was setting it like 20 or 30 years in the future. And I decided, like, let's set it way further out. Yeah. So like they've renamed like it's no longer. What is it now? Current era is what we call like CE. Yeah. Um, So there's a new era. And so it's like far far enough where there's a new era that has now come about. I think I named it. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember what I named it if I did so far. (laughs) (laughs) I originally had it as Titan era, but I also want to write mythology based stuff. And that was too mythology for a dystopian type book. But, um, you know, as with dystopians, like there's stuff wrong with the world and we've had to like basically think like the 100 where everybody had to move on to like a spaceship kind of thing um but not not in space it's on it's on here but it's (laughs) so it's like every like major city has basically had to combine in these like 
buildings together to help live, basically. Oh, okay. um, but it is worldwide. Like, I'm. Oh, is... well, that's good because that's like sort of a novelty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's very much like fantasy in that, like, their people will develop superpowers. Oh, yeah. yeah um, like that. And also, so that's fantasy elements of it, but then it is right. sci fi and the like, you know, technologies that have changed and stuff like right. that. So it's, you know, if it, if dystopian was an option, I could do that. <laughs> but <laughs> instead, I'll have to figure out the genres that'll like ride the line between those two. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like I love, I mean, I love reading. Fantasy is like, my biggest uh, adult fantasy is the genre I read mm-hmm. the most. Yeah. Um, and, and I certainly like learn a lot about writing from um, epic fantasy mm-hmm. and, uh, um, but I, but I love sci-fi too. And then I love like the YA sci-fi more mm-hmm. than the YA fantasy. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of flip between, like, depending on whether I'm reading <laughs> YA or, or adult fiction. Yeah. Uh, which, but I love both of those. And I love ones that contain elements of, of sci-fi and fantasy together. I mm-hmm. think those are super entertaining. I am hoping to publish by the end of the year, but I have a lot going on. So my time, like you, yeah. um, time <laughs> so chunks limited. of... at the. <laughs> My like in December, I'm like, what are my New Year's resolutions going to be? And I'm like, I am going to, after having not looked at my book for six months, I'm going to commit to 10 minutes a day are going to be set aside for working on this. I'm like, it's a doable number. It's not a I'm going to miss out on a bunch of sleep number. Like 10 minutes is small enough. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes I go over right now. I'm mostly adding in the like, there's a lot of dialogue. Not mm-hmm. inner dialogue, just talking right. without like there'll be huge chunks of like people talking back and forth with no inner dialogue whatsoever, no inner thoughts, right. what they're thinking about, what's being said. No, right. just just the words. So, the context. <laughs> so I'm adding all that. I went back to the beginning and I'm adding all that in so that my editing process will hopefully be smaller. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that uh that, you know there are so many different strategies for mm-hmm. for how people like write and you know a lot of um a lot of authors will just be like get the first tra- draft done yeah and then go back and make all your revisions but I'm kind of more inclined especially since sometimes there there can be like gaps of time if I get really busy so I'm not like in the 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 story as much so I'll read it mm-hmm. to get back into like my characters heads and you know my stories are my this trilogy is very character driven um but I get back into it because I I'm a discovery writer or a pantser or however <laughs> you want to talk about like I don't yeah. I don't I don't just sit there and like you know, I'll, I will try to, like, say, you know, write down, jot down things of, like, what's going to happen. And they may or may not. Like, my yeah. characters, I'll be like, oh, so that's what they're doing now. Okay. Well, that's, like, not at all what I expected. But okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so just, I do, I do not plan. Along. 
Yeah. I do not plan the, I mean, like, in my head, I know, like, what the major plot points are going to be, mm-hmm. but, like, there is no plan in place. <laughs> right. right. And, and for me, it's like, yeah, I I don't know. Like, I've tried, I've tried the whole outlining thing, and it just, it gets tossed out the window, because <laughs> as I'm writing, and, you know, my characters start revealing themselves more, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I don't it's forced if I try and conform yeah. too much to some sort of plot and like then it's like that like and some sometimes like like so my first book it wasn't it didn't end on a total cliffhanger but you definitely knew at the end of it there was going to be a book too yeah um and uh the second book was like an absolute cliffhanger because what ends up happening and all of this is like not at all what people expect um from mm. like a virus you know it's not it's not um it's not <laughs> and I I really can't say a whole lot about it because then it sort of gives away like the surprises that yeah. <laughs> come about but the end of the second book you know I, I um it was a total cliffhanger and what happened through all of that was like not at all planned <laughs> and so if I had like conformed to what I was thinking it would have been a lot more, I think, um, it would have been a lot less compelling mm. um, than what ended up happening mm. um, just naturally from the story and the way yeah. that the second book ended. You know, I was just like, oh, oh, wow. Okay, so that's where we're going now, <laughs> you know? And and I, I just think it, yeah, it ended up turning out a lot better than the original ending I had. thought of yeah (laughs) so if you were giving a new author any piece of advice what would be the the biggest thing that you think would help um and everybody gives a different answer to this question but what's the biggest thing that has helped you as you've been writing these books um i think just to keep going it's so it's so easy we all get stuck at certain times like Mm -hmm. we all run into those places that our our creative brains are just like not cooperating Mm -hmm. and it's so easy to like give up on the idea that you're a writer or that you've got something to say or you've got a story in in there Mm -hmm. when you get these these when you come up against these brick walls Mm -hmm. and um and people have different approaches to like you know oh just press on and just deal with whatever's on the page and it'll start you'll break through versus like take a break and walk away for a while and I'm sort of of the notion that most of the time I'll at least take a short break I might Mm -hmm. just sit here and stare out the window literally (laughs) stare out the window and just sort of feel where my characters are without thinking about like what could happen next Mm -hmm. and let it just sort of permeate um and other times I might just have to put it down and like go for a hike Mm -hmm. you know and just say like okay I'm not gonna get down on myself for for this I know that if I do, do this and step away from it it's gonna start unlocking things yeah so I think that you know people have to find their own way when they get to those spots Mm -hmm. but the biggest thing is to like not give up because you get to those spots because every author 
does, whether they're new or they've been at it forever, you know? Um, so I would, I would always just say, keep going, push through and however that works best for you. <laughs> yeah. Cause we're all different, but just keep going. You know? Yeah. And that's some, I know like listening to music will help or like mm-hmm. watching, you know, shows will, yeah. you know, bring ideas to mind or um, you're the second one. I think that said, go for a walk or a hike or something, but <laughs> just like get your, which is why I set mine as a time goal and not a word count goals to take That's some good. of that pressure off mm-hmm. um, where I'm not going to like beat myself. 10 minutes is 10 minutes. Like if I get a hundred words in or 600 words in, it's still 10 minutes. Like it yeah. doesn't, doesn't, and right now, because I'm adding it, you know, I'm, I'm editing what I've already written. So like, I think the last couple of days I've gotten like 100, 150 like new words in there. Right. Um, but I've also swapped out. Like I realized I wrote part of the book in past tense for whatever reason. So I'm having to like change <laughs> words to present tense. So it's not like That's one so sentence will be in the present and one will be in the past. And I'm like, it can't be like this. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I think. That's a hard thing when you're when you're writing in present tense, and it's such a cool tense to write in because you're you are you're present, you're right there. Yeah. Um, but I think it's challenging because people tend to slip into a past tense voice really easily, mm-hmm. you know. And so like, apparently, sentence that, like, to I'm not sentence. That <laughs> For- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, and I think I was a couple chapters into editing before I realized I was doing this. So I'm going to have to go back to the beginning again. But I was like, I just went, I was just there. I'm not going to go back right now. I can catch that later. Um, but like, right. you know, keep in mind going forward as I'm reading through and editing that like, you know, make sure you've got it all in the right tense. She was doing this or she did do that. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> It's I, uh, happening I'm... right now. She needed to take a breath. She needs to right. take a breath. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I started a, a new series. Um, at first, it was going to be a novella. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it ended up that as I got partway into it, I'm like, no, this is not a novella. This is a mm. series, but it's in present tense. And, and so I put it away because it's not a novella that will come like later. Um, yeah. But I ran into the same thing. I was like writing it. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm writing in past tense now. It's supposed to be present tense. <laughs> so I had to do the same thing. Like go back and like change the, the wording as I was yeah. realizing that I was not staying in present tense. Well, there are some like find and replace you do not want to use for stuff like that, because sometimes it is appropriate. Like if they're telling, you know, the characters telling something that did happen in the past, you don't want to accidentally screw that part up. So, but yeah, the rest like the the internal dialogue, I'm like going back and making sure that it's in present tense to make sure that it's like making sense. And I've done um, one of the authors that I narrate for, I edit her books for her. And so we've had a couple of instances where I had to like update, like, hey, all of a sudden you switched into past tense for some reason. <laughs> like, yeah, I, changed, I just changed this part to comply with it's currently happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like good to have a, another set of eyes for catching yeah. that stuff. 
Well, it's kind of like I'm beta reading, except I'm doing the actual like, so we use a Google, she throws it into a Google Doc, and then I edit and comment like, this is what I changed so that I can get to the end of actually narrating it faster. So she can just approve things and then change things back if she didn't like what I changed. Um, But yeah, so that's something that I don't do for everybody because it's time consuming, but (laughs) (laughs) I've had a few that like, oh, her books are all really short. They're all like under three hour audiobooks. Oh, wow. So they're pretty, pretty short ones. So it's like, oh, this isn't that big. Now, if it was like a 12 hour book, I'd be like, no, you're going to have to pay someone else to do this because I can't. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I got to do my own book. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that would be super time consuming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can't. um, I'll do occasional like, oh, the sentence is worded really weird and like, you know, fix it on the, which I always ask permission before I start doing right. this, um, but you know, fix it on the fly kind of stuff. But other than that, yeah, no, I've had a couple that I'm like, I need a recording ready manuscript and they send me something and I'm like, this is not, mm, this is not recording ready. <laughs> this is not, I'm like, um, I could fix it, but you're going to have to pay me for double time because that's how long it's going to take me to do this. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, I mean, you got to think when you're, you know, when you read aloud, like when you read aloud to the kids, you don't read every word perfectly. You have to go back and fix it. It's the same with narrating. Like it's for me, it's down to about it takes me about an hour and a half to record an hour of audio. So it's about one and a half to one rate. So for me, it's not I mean, and I have days that are worse than other days. Um, but for the most part, that's like what I've averaged. Um, but yeah, if it's a, if it's a fantasy novel with 300 made up words in it, it takes me probably two to two and a half hours <laughs> to get that to where the words flow well. Um, right. But yeah, no, if it's, if it has not seen any kind of editors, it's, that's a, it's going to take me three mm-hmm. to four times as long to do it. I'm like, no. <laughs> No. Yeah. <laughs> in the early days, I did a lot of that. In the now days, I'm like, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> like, time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so thank much you. for talking to fun. me. Yeah. And fun. schedule yourself whatever you need to get done. <laughs> This is your, your your reminder. Don't forget to add that to your to-do list. Schedule yourself. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Freya. Thank you. Have a great Saturday. Yeah, you too. Enjoy your reading. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> bye. All right. Bye. As DK got older, she liked The Giving Tree. The Giving Tree is an American children's picture book written and illustrated by Shel Silverstein. First published in 1964 by Harper and Row, it has become one of Silverstein's best-known titles, and it has been translated into numerous languages. This book has been described as one of the most divisive books in children's literature. The controversy stems from whether the relationship between the main characters, a boy and the tree, should be interpreted as positive— The tree gives the boy selfless love. Or negative, the boy and the tree have an abusive relationship. Today we'll be reading The Fir Tree by Hans Christian Andersen. 
Don't forget we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. The Fir Tree Out in the woods stood a nice little fir tree. The place he had was a very good one. The sun shone on him. As to fresh air, there was enough of that. And round him grew many large-sized comrades— pines as well as firs. But the little fir wanted so very much to be a grown-up tree. He did not think of the warm sun and of the fresh air. He did not care for the little cottage children that ran about and prattled when they were in the woods looking for wild strawberries. The children often came with a whole pitcher full of berries, or a long row of them threaded on a straw and sat down near the young tree and said, "'Oh, how pretty he is!' What a nice little fir. But this is what the tree could not bear to hear. At the end of a year, he had shot up a good deal. And after another year, he was another long bit taller. For with fir trees, one can always tell by the shoots how many years old they are. Oh, were I but such a high tree as the others are, sighed he. Then I should be able to spread out my branches and wet the tops to look into the wide world. Then would the birds build nests among my branches. And when there was a breeze, I could bend with as much stateliness as the others. Neither the sunbeams, nor the birds, nor the red clouds which morning and evening sailed above him gave the little tree any pleasure. In winter, when the snow lay glittering on the ground, a hare would often come leaping along and jump right over the little tree. Oh, that made him so angry, but two winters were past, and in the third, the tree was so large that the hare was obliged to go round it. To grow and grow, to get older and be tall, thought the tree. That, after all, is the most delightful thing in the world. In autumn, the woodcutters always came and felled some of the largest trees. This happened every year. And the young fir tree, that had now grown to a very comely size, trembled at the sight. For the magnificent great trees fell to the earth with noise and cracking. The branches were lopped off, and the trees looked long and bare. They were hardly to be recognized. And then they were laid in carts, and the horses dragged them out of the wood. Where did they go to? What became of them? In spring, when the swallows and the storks came, the tree asked them, Don't you know where they have been taken? Have you not met them anywhere? The swallows did not know anything about it. But the stork looked musing, nodded his head, and said, Yes, I think I know. I met many ships as I was flying hither from Egypt. On the ships were magnificent masts, and I venture to assert that it was they that smelt so of fur. I may congratulate you, for they lifted themselves on high most majestically. Oh, were I but old enough to fly across the sea. But how does the sea look in reality? What is it like? That would take a long time to explain, said the stork. And with these words, off he went. Rejoice in thy growth, said the sunbeams. Rejoice in thy vigorous growth and in the fresh life that moveth within thee. And the wind kissed the tree, and the dew wept tears over him, but the fir understood it not. When Christmas came, quite young trees were cut down, trees which often were not even as large or of the same age as this fir tree, who could never rest, but always wanted to be off, these young trees, and they were always the finest-looking, retained their branches. 
They were laid on carts, and the horses drew them out of the wood. Where are they going to? asked the fir. They are not taller than I. There was one indeed that was considerably shorter. And why do they retain all their branches? Whither are they taken? We know, we know, chirped the sparrows. We have peeped in at the windows in the town below. We know whither they are taken. The greatest splendor and the greatest magnificence one can imagine await them. We peeped through the windows and saw them planted in the middle of the warm room and ornamented with the most splendid things, with gilded apples and gingerbread, with toys and many hundred lights. And then, asked the fir tree, trembling in every bough. And then, what happens then? We did not see anything more. It was incomparably beautiful. I would fain know if I am destined for so glorious a career, cried the tree rejoicing. That is still better than to cross the sea. What a longing do I suffer. Were Christmas but come, I am now tall, and my branches spread like the others that were carried off last year. Oh, were I but already on the cart, were I in the warm room with all the splendor and magnificence. Yes, then something better, something still grander will surely follow, or wherefore they should thus ornament me. Something better, something still grander must follow, but what? Oh, how I long, how I suffer, I do not know myself, what is the matter with me? Rejoice in our presence, said the air and the sunlight. Rejoice in thy own fresh youth. But the tree did not rejoice at all. He grew and grew and was green both winter and summer. People that saw him said, what a fine tree. And towards Christmas, he was one of the first that was cut down. The axe stuck deep into the very pith. The tree fell to the earth with a sigh. He felt a pang. It was like a swoon. He could not think of happiness, for he was sorrowful at being separated from his home, from the place where he had sprung up. He well knew that he should never see his dear old comrades, the little bushes and flowers around him anymore. Perhaps not even the birds. The departure was not at all agreeable, the tree only came to himself when he was unloaded in a courtyard with the other trees and heard a man say, That one is splendid. We don't want the others. Then two servants came in rich livery and carried the fir tree into a large and splendid drawing room. Portraits were hanging on the walls and near the white porcelain stove stood two large Chinese vases with lions on the covers. There too were large easy chairs, silken sofas, Large tables full of picture books and full of toys, worth hundreds and hundreds of crowns. At least the children said so. And the fir tree was stuck upright in a cask that was filled with sand. But no one could see that it was a cask, for green cloth was hung all round it, and it stood on a large gaily colored carpet. Oh, how the tree quivered. What was to happen? The servants as well as the young ladies decorated it. On one branch there hung little nets cut out of colored paper, and each net was filled with sugar plums. And among the other boughs, gilded apples and walnuts were suspended, looking as though they had grown there. And little blue and white tapers were placed among the leaves, dolls that looked for all the world like men, the tree had never beheld such before, were seen among the foliage. And at the very top, a large star of gold tinsel was fixed. It was really splendid beyond description splendid. This evening, they all said, how it will shine this evening. Oh, thought the tree, 
if the evening were but come, if the tapers were but lighted, and then I wonder what will happen. Perhaps the other trees from the forest will come to look at me. Perhaps the sparrows will beat against the window panes. I wonder if I shall take root here and winter and summer stand covered with ornaments. He knew very much about the matter. But he was so impatient that for sheer longing he got a pain in his back. And this with trees is the same thing as a headache with us. The candles were now lighted. What brightness! What splendor! The tree trembled so in every bough that one of the tapers set fire to the foliage. It blazed up famously. Help! Help! cried the young ladies, and they quickly put out the fire. Now the tree did not even dare tremble. What a state he was in! He was so uneasy lest he should lose something of his splendor that he was quite bewildered amidst the glare and brightness. When suddenly both folding doors opened and a troop of children rushed in as if they would upset the tree. The older persons followed quietly. The little ones stood quite still, but it was only for a moment. Then they shouted that the whole place re-echoed with their rejoicing. They danced round the tree, and one present after the other was pulled off. What are they about? thought the tree. What is to happen now? And the lights burned down to the very branches. And as they burned down, they were put out one after the other. And the children had permission to plunder the tree. So they fell upon it with such violence that all its branches cracked. If it had not been fixed firmly to the ground, it would certainly have tumbled down. The children danced about with their beautiful playthings. No one looked at the tree except the old nurse who peeped between the branches. But it was only to see if there was a fig or an apple left that had been forgotten. A story, a story, cried the children, drawing a little fat man towards the tree. He seated himself under it and said, Now we are in the shade, and the tree can listen too. But I shall tell only one story. Now which will you have? That about Ivity Avity? Or about Humpy Dumpy who tumbled downstairs and yet after all came to the throne and married the princess? Ivity Avity, cried some. Humpy Dumpy, cried the others. There was such a bawling and screaming, the fir tree alone was silent. And he thought to himself, am I not to bawl with the rest? Am I to do nothing whatever? For he was one of the company and had done what he had to do. And the man told about Humpy Dumpy that tumbled down who notwithstanding came to the throne and at last married the princess. And the children clapped their hands and cried, Oh, go on, do go on. They wanted to hear about Ivity Avity too, but the little man only told them about Humpy Dumpy. The fir tree stood quite still and absorbed in thought. The birds in the wood had never related the likes of this. Humpy Dumpy fell downstairs, and yet he married the princess. Yes. Yes, that's the way of the world, thought the fir tree, and believed it all because the man who told the story was so good-looking. Well, well, who knows? Perhaps I may fall downstairs too and get a princess's wife. And he looked forward with joy to the morrow, when he hoped to be decked out again with lights, playthings, fruits, and tinsel. I won't tremble tomorrow, thought the fir tree. I will enjoy to the full all my splendor. Tomorrow I shall hear again the story of Humpy Dumpy and perhaps that of Ivity Avity too. And the whole night the tree stood still and in deep thought. In the morning the servant and the housemaid came in. Now then the splendor will begin again, thought the fir. 
but they dragged him out of the room and up the stairs into the loft. And here, in a dark corner where no daylight could enter, they left him. What's the meaning of this? thought the tree. What am I to do here? What shall I hear now, I wonder? And he leaned against the wall, lost in reverie. Time enough had he too for his reflections, for days and nights passed on, and nobody came up. And when at last somebody did come, it was only to put some great trunks in a corner out of the way. There stood the tree quite hidden. It seemed as if he had been entirely forgotten. "'Tis now winter out of doors,' thought the tree. "'The earth is hard and covered with snow. "'Men cannot plant me now, "'and therefore I have been put up here under shelter "'till the springtime comes. "'How thoughtful that is. "'How kind man is, after all. "'If it only were not so dark here and so terribly lonely. "'Not even a hare. "'And out in the woods it was so pleasant "'when the snow was on the ground, "'and the hare leapt by.' Yes, even when he jumped over me, but I did not like it then. It is really terribly lonely here. Squeak, squeak, said a little mouse at the same moment, peeping out of his hole, and then another little one came. They snuffed about the fir tree and rustled among the branches. It is dreadfully cold, said the mouse, but for that it would be delightful here, old fir, wouldn't it? I am by no means old, said the fir tree, there's many a one considerably older than I am. Where do you come from? asked the mice. And what can you do? They were so extremely curious. Tell us about the most beautiful spot on the earth. Have you never been there? Were you never in the larder where cheeses lie on the shelves and hams hang from above? Where one dances about on tallow candles that place where one enters lean and comes out again fat and portly? I know no such place, said the tree, but I know the wood where the sun shines and where the little birds sing. And then he told all about his youth, and the little mice had never heard the like before, and they listened and said, Well, to be sure, how much you have seen, how happy you must have been. I, said the fir tree, thinking over what he had himself related. Yes, in reality, those were happy times, and then he told about Christmas Eve when he was decked out with cakes and candles. Oh, said the little mice, how fortunate you have been, old fir tree. I am by no means old, said he. I came from the wood this winter. I am in my prime and am only rather short for my age. What delightful stories you know, said the mice. And the next night they came with four other little mice, who were to hear what the tree recounted. And the more he related, the more he remembered himself. And it appeared as if those times had really been happy times. But they may still come. They may still come. Humpy Dumpy fell downstairs, and yet he got a princess. And he thought at the moment of a nice little birch tree growing out in the woods. To the fir, that would be a real charming princess. Who is Humpy Dumpy? asked the mice. So then the fir tree told the whole fairy tale for he could remember every single word of it, and the little mice jumped for joy up to the very top of the tree. Next night, two more mice came, and on Sunday, two rats even, but they said the stories were not interesting, which vexed the little mice, and they too now began to think them not so very amusing either. Do you know only one story? asked the rats. Only that one, answered the tree. I heard it on my happiest evening, but I did not then know how happy I was. 
It is a very stupid story. Don't you know one about bacon and tallow candles? Can't you tell any larder stories? No, said the tree. Then goodbye, said the rats, and they went home. At last, the little mice stayed away also, and the tree sighed. After all, it was very pleasant when the little sleek mice sat round me and listened to what I told them. Now that too is over. But I will take good care to enjoy myself when I'm brought out again. But when was that to be? Why, one morning there came a quantity of people and set to work in the loft. The trunks were moved. The tree was pulled out and thrown, rather hard, it is true, down on the floor. But a man drew him towards the stairs where the daylight shone. Now a merry life will begin again, thought the tree. He felt the fresh air, the first sunbeam, and now he was out in the courtyard. All passed so quickly, there was so much going on round him, the tree quite forgot to look to himself. The court adjoined a garden, and all was in flower. The roses hung so fresh and odorous over the balustrade. The lindens were in blossom, the swallows flew by and said, Queer vit, my husband is come but it was not the fir tree that they meant. Now then, I shall really enjoy life, said he exultingly, and spread out his branches, but alas, they were all withered and yellow. It was in a corner that he lay among weeds and nettles. A golden star of tinsel was still on the top of the tree and glittered in the sunshine. In the courtyard, some of the merry children were playing who had danced at Christmas round to the fir tree and were so glad at the sight of him. One of the youngest ran and tore off the golden star. Only look what is still on the ugly old Christmas tree, said he, trampling on the branches so that they all cracked beneath his feet. And the tree beheld all the beauty of the flowers and the freshness in the garden. He beheld himself and wished he had remained in his dark corner in the loft. He thought of his first youth in the wood, of the merry Christmas Eve and of the little mice who had listened with so much pleasure to the story of Humpy Dumpy. "'Tis over. Tis past," said the poor tree. "'Had I but rejoiced when I had reason to do so. "'But now tis past, tis past.' "'And the gardener's boy chopped the tree into small pieces. "'There was a whole heap lying there. "'The wood flamed up splendidly under the large brewing copper, "'and it sighed so deeply. "'Each sigh was like a shot.' The boys played about in the court, and the youngest wore the gold star on his breast, which the tree had had on the happiest evening of his life. However, that was over now. The tree gone. The story at an end. All. All was over. Every tale must end at last. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for Catherine's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.